and welcome to season two of Simply Medics. We hope you've had a great start to the new year. Today we're going to be talking about a topic that is quite, I won't say controversial, but every year it gets talked about. Um, you know, with the new year, people are always having new year resolutions and usually involves something to do with body image changing, whether it's weight loss or weight gain. With the rise of cosmetic surgery procedures over the past 10 years, we've seen more and more young people getting flights abroad or staying home in the UK and getting their different varied surgical and non-surgical operations to alter the way that they look. So we thought we were going to talk about cosmetic surgery in the UK, the rise of cosmetic surgery and also body image issues. Now recently myself and Moyo was scrolling through Twitter and we saw a video by BBC. Now this video had um a well-known influencer by the name of Renee who was talking about her issues that she's had with um, cosmetic surgery in particular BBL which stands for Brazilian butt lift. Renee had an operation in Turkey about a year or two ago. After the operation she suffered multiple complications and required corrective surgery here in the UK. She spoke about sort of her regrets and warned warned women to consider whether or not they truly want to go for um, cosmetic surgery such as BBL and whether or not they wanted to have it done in Turkey or in other countries. So we thought we will come in and talk about these various different things and see what your thoughts are on it as well. So within this country, the British Association of Aesthetics and Plastic Surgeon noted that in 2018, women underwent 92% of all cosmetic procedures recorded. The three most common procedures were breast augmentation, breast reduction and eyelid surgery. Now within this country, cosmetic surgery can range from a price of £1,000 to up to £10,000. Clearly it's quite an expensive procedure, an expensive thing to have done. Um, so sometimes people would rather just go abroad and get it done. So Moyo, what are your thoughts on plastic surgery? What are your thoughts on cosmetic surgery and you know the non-surgical and the surgical um, stuff that you can get done? I have quite a lot of thoughts, if I'm being honest. Um, I always think it's important to know that everybody has different things about their body, which they like and they dislike. And um, I wouldn't judge anyone for wanting to get it because um, you need to un- you need to understand that while something f- may physically not be pleasing to you, um, the mental, psychological aspect of that compounds it as well. So it's a whole biosocial social thing. So I do understand why people get it. But surgery is just so risky. Like it's something that shouldn't be taken lightly at all. Um, so I think people, if they do want to go for it, then they should make sure they go with somewhere that's safe, that's regulated, because essentially anything that goes into your body, any cut, any kind of modification, you want the best for it because potentially your life can be at risk. I completely agree with you. I think if you're going to be taking sort of great lengths to get cosmetic surgery, whatever type of cosmetic surgery you want to get, whether it's rhinoplasty, whether it's BBL, breast implants, whatever it may be, that you just take your time to actually think about the potential side effects, the potential complications that may arise and whether or not you're willing to take those chances. Um, Because with any operation, no matter how minor, there are still complications, whether it's infection, whether it's potential um, 
blood loss, whatever it is, you have to just make sure that you're well informed before you make that decision. So what kind of factors do you think um, influence people in getting or wanting to get cosmetic surgery, whether it's surgical or non-surgical? <laughs> when I say social, you say media. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was actually reflecting earlier and it's like, um, I feel like I grew up in an era where there was, you know, before social media, I still got to enjoy being mm. a teenager. And then kind of in my 20s, I was more on social media. Like I didn't get Instagram until quite late. And I was thinking like, okay, in school, um, I'll, I'll be honest, um, in my young teenagers, I was quite um, mm-hmm. conscious of the fact that I was very, I was very, very, mm-hmm. very skinny. Um, you know, sometimes comments from aunties and stuff like, oh, come round, I'll give you food, I'll fatten you up. Um, so I was kind of conscious and I'm just imagining, imagine that and then social media on top. And the thing with social media is, it's always bombarding you. You know, you see the perfect body, you see the person with a certain type of body getting all the likes, all the comments, all the sponsorships or whatever. And you're like, yeah, that's what that's what I want to aspire to. But the thing is like, those people don't even look like themselves in the sense of, you know, there's a lot of photoshopping and that's what you're looking at, aspiring for something that's not real. That person doesn't even look like that. And then on on top of that, you know, there's been cases where you've got, influencers who are like yeah I just done this in the gym I just ate this kind of diet and that's what resulted in that body and it's actually been revealed like later down the line that they've had work done so there's a lot of misleading um yeah people misleading others on social media and I think as well comments by others so this isn't kind of like our peer age but um kind of older people like uncles or aunts or relatives they can make comments on your body when you're young and I know um, quite a few people who that's made insecure, whether you're big, you know, they'll kind of talk about you in a way that just refers to your weight um, and things like that. People internalize it. And that's one thing that affects the way they see themselves and the way they appreciate their bodies. There's just so many things. I agree. Honestly. I think sort of the factors that influence people is very multifactorial. Um, I think, first of all, if we look at the wider scopes at society, the society that we live in has the body ideals have shifted. So I'd say in the early 2000s, it was really a skinny, stick-thin, model-esque type of figure was what was deemed to be beautiful. And the majority of women wanted to lose weight and look like um, the Kate Mosses and the Naomi Campbells. Um, you see a lot in like on TV shows and movies, you'd hear women saying, oh my gosh, my butt looks so big. I need to lose weight. Oh, my, my belly's so fat. I need to lose weight. <laughs> don't know if I had an American accent but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was like no it is the American yeah. movies yeah. Was like the, the, what the thing that was like idealized back then whilst I'll say maybe in the 2010s onwards we've seen a shift where it's more the curvaceous fuller figured woman you know with the small waist the big breast the big bum the thighs that are not mm. too big that sort of figure is what's deemed as beautiful within our society um I know in certain cultures the yeah, Kim the Kim Kim's. Kardashians and the Kim Minaj's, the Cardi B's. I know within certain cultures, that body figure was already quite a, you know, a popular th- ideal. So I know like both of us going from West African backgrounds, mm-hmm. having a big bum, breasts has always been seen as, oh yeah, that's beautiful. You know, that means you're a woman. Um, but now I think 
with the with western culture it's becoming more of a popular ideal so you're getting women who don't naturally look like that wanting to look like that because they're being bombarded mm-hmm. by influencers like you mentioned on instagram especially um musicians actors on tv on various platforms who have this body that is more majority of the time isn't really their you know it's not their natural figure they've had some some type of work done or they've gone to the gym and worked out Mm -hmm. certain specific areas to look like that and it's I wouldn't say I think it's very difficult when you're constantly surrounded by these images to not want to look like that you know it just becomes oh this is this is this is what everyone looks like so you think that's what everyone looks like and it's it's not you can go anywhere like um, on an, on a, in a normal setting, let's take a non-COVID mm-hmm. uni class and you can just see a range of different bodies, yeah. different heights, different shapes, different shape of yeah. bum and breast. But for some reason, we're just constantly mm. fed one image. And even in addition to the body, yeah. the face, the face has changed as well. Those kind of, you know, the Caucasian nose, the Angelina Jolie lips, certain features are more kind of popularized now as well and it's like we're all created different differently so why is there this urge to look one way this whole trying everyone trying to look the same thing um it's not natural you know within within nature there is variations within each species not all zebras look the same not all zebras have a similar pattern stripes not all lions look the same not all dolphins look the same. Not all humans look the same. We look at the human, the human um, race as a, as an entity, and we have variation within skin color. We have variation in hair texture. We have variation in the ways our nose is shaped, our lips are shaped, our bodies are shaped. You know, so there is so much diversity mm. and uniqueness within within the human race. I don't see why we all should try and look the same. Um, actually. If you speak to someone who's got very big breasts, they probably tell you that they have a lot of back problems and they probably want to get a reduction, you know? So I think sometimes mm. we idolize certain things without thinking about the full effects of the, the, you know, the physical implications that that you may have. Um, mm. It's really sad. It's really sad that we've currently gotten ourselves into this state. And for me, I think I feel more sort of sad for young women especially teenagers who are still developing and haven't fully developed and they're mm. constantly being bombarded yeah. with bodies of 20 something year olds 30 something year olds who have more or less matured into their body um, and have these big breasts big bombs and they're trying to compete with them and it's actually like you're still going through puberty you need to fully develop listen when you get to 25 plus mm. your body's going to change when you get to 30 plus your body's going to change listen <laughs> honestly <laughs> The change just comes so like yeah. wow. Is what is what we're doing, body? Is this what we're doing, body? Okay, cool. So the body shape that you have as a fifteen year old. When I look at me as a fifteen year old, I'm like okay. But me as a twenty whatever year old I am, I'm not going to disclose my age. Um, I look. <laughs> my body shape is is probably similar, but it's actually changed quite a lot from when I was fifteen. Um, and I know it's going to change when I when I hit my thirties, when I have children. All these various things are going to cause my my body to change. And as human beings, if you're not happy about a specific thing, there are certain things you can do without going straight to the knife, without going straight to you know theatre and having potentially mm. what could be a life 
life life threatening like some of these surgeries carry very high mortality risks like very high talked a bit about factors that influence people wanting to get sort of cosmetic surgeries whether it's surgical or non-surgical like botox and dermal fillers um i think we're going to move on to the different types of procedures you can have so moyo what kind of procedures do you know of um i've heard of a lot of these growing up um so obviously i know let's keep it simple and make and then go to the most complicated one so mm-hmm. botox that's actually cosmetic injection to kind of um essentially cause your face to look younger um another one that was quite common that you heard i heard of growing up was breast augmentation so you know you mentioned how um in the early 2000s it was that kind of skin mm-hmm. appearance but with the with the big and boobs um you bring to mind people like um oh katie what's that price, model yeah. katie price yeah there was quite a lot of there were many models kind of going for that um there's breast reduction and i actually wanted to mention earlier that um i understand why people get that because of the medical kind of back pain um, and stuff like that. Oh, yeah the back pain and the other stuff that accompany it um tummy tuck and the more recent one, you said eyelid surgery at the yeah. beginning. I was like, why do people need surgery on the eyelid? Please enlighten so me. It's more different cultures have different. Um, I know in some Asian cultures, people get their eyelids. So eyelid surgery done to remove that. You know, like there's a specific feature that people from different areas of Asia have. Yeah. Um, and they get the, the, the procedure to remove certain, to remove like excess folds in the eyelids. Um i don't know why you would want to do that anything that's near my eyes i can avoid but yeah people get eyelid surgery done um other ones Mm. i don't know if you mentioned rhinoplasty so like getting your nose done um facelifts Mm. hair transplant Mm. um labiaplasty i've figured found that labiaplasty is also a thing that's been quite popular as well um as in excess skin around the labia cutting i think it's like cut is it what? removal parts of the labia minora does that fall under <laughs> fgm no it's not FGM. No, like, it's, yeah it's, it's a thing apparently i've heard of it previously and i kind of kind of know why people get it um but yeah i i it's not something that i advocate for um then we have obviously the non-surgical stuff so like you mentioned botox dermal fillers to get your, you know you can get dermal fillers on your lips here you dermal fillers to make your lips look a bit more plump mm-hmm. give you that angelina jolie lips um what dermal fillers like around your skin if you've got wrinkles to so just fill them up rather than getting botox permanent mm-hmm. makeup so people can get like their eyebrows done permanently have a permanent eyeliner making good yeah. right you can get permanent lip liner, permanent lip, like lip color, all sorts. Um, wow. There is so much. There is I didn't know so that. much scope in surgical and non-surgical cosmetic procedures. It's such a such a um, what's the word? Evolving specialty. Um, yeah. So laser hair removal comes under non-surgical, and so does skin lightening which I didn't know was a big thing. But I know in like a lot of African and Asian cultures, skin lightening, a lot of people use like the unregulated 
creams and lotions to lighten their skin. Mm, that's a whole other podcast, <laughs> honestly. But yeah, so those are like the kind of procedures that you can get. Um, I don't think you can get any of these on the NHS unless you have an overriding physical or psychological reason. Mm. So most of the time, people have to get it done privately. Mm. Mm. I'm trying to think if, say, like if someone had like um, PCOS and mm. excess hair um, was really burdensome to them, would they be able to get like it done on the NHS or still have to? I don't know. I'm guessing yeah. if... So, if um, someone could make it like a a case about it that is really affecting them psychologically, then maybe they could get it. They could get it on their NHS. Mm. Mm. I guess breast reconstruction yeah, yeah, though yeah. can be done in cases yeah, of breast cancer. Yeah. yeah, but um, I'm, but stuff like you know, I just want a boob job because I'm not happy with my breasts. Won't really be done on the NHS per se, um, because it's not affecting you that much. You know, like if. I'm guessing if you're suicidal about your breast, people won't think, oh yeah, let's just get her a boob job. The first thing they'll do is, you know, get you psychiatric input and help you deal with your mm. your body image issues rather than going straight to getting a procedure. Because actually most of the time people people get Definitely. a procedure and still are not happy with the way the body looks and they, they go for more procedures and then it becomes a bit of an addictive thing. Hmm. Well, that's a whole catalogue of procedures. I'm pretty sure there's more procedures that I haven't even, like, gone into. Um, But, yeah. About to go into the big one, which you mentioned earlier, BBL. So, we're going to talk a bit about BBL, what BBL stands for, what BBL is, um, some of the side effects, like, not side effects, the complications of BBL. Um, So, like I mentioned before, BBL stands for Brazilian Butt Lift. Um, it's quite a common procedure, especially abroad. A lot of people, a lot of women tend to get it done abroad. And what it does is it's a surgical fat transfer. So you remove fat from one part of the body to another. And usually fat is removed from the lower abdomen or from sort of the thigh region. And then the, the, the fat is sort of purified and injected into the back to around the buttock area just to make the buttock look a bit more fuller and lifted. The procedure can take usually from anywhere from an hour to four hours. It's done under general anaesthetic. I don't think anybody will be doing PPLs under local anaesthetic, to be honest. Um. <laughs> please, if they are, report them, please. So, yeah. <laughs> Just local all up and down your body. I don't think that you, they can, they're going to be able to inject enough local anesthetic for you to not feel the pain. Um, but yeah, so BBL is under the general anesthetic. It takes from anywhere from an hour to four hours, depending on the surgeon performing the procedure, um, the com- complications, where you're having it done. There's so many different factors that can change the, the duration of the procedure. The issue with BBL is that because it's, it's quite... Not, not most, it's, it's quite a long procedure. It can be a long procedure, up to four hours. And also you're dealing with fat. Um, mm. There is some side effects. So some of the complications that can happen, like it, it increases your risk of clots, so whether it's clots to the lungs or pulmonary embolisms or deep vein thrombosis, which is clots to the legs. Um, like with any procedure, you have a risk of infection, risk of bleeding. You can have pneumothorax which basically just means that you have um some air within your chest cavity and that can be due to either they they puncture your lung during the procedure or something like that 
or um, something ha- goes wrong with when they're trying to um, do give you general anesthetic. You can also get scars, hypertrophic scars after the operation, fat necrosis, and the risk of death is 10 times higher than any other cosmetic procedure. So those are just some of the, the common complications that comes with BBL. And if done in the UK, these are things you would all be made aware of. Um, with any surgery in the UK, it's um, a legal duty of a, the surgeon doing the operation to consent you. Um, with anything medical, surgical, you should always have an informed decision. So I know here in the UK, you know, let's say you want to go for a BBL. I'm not even sure about the UK's stance on BBL, actually. I think it changed recently in my reading, um, but I'll come back to that later. So you come along, you know, you have a your first consultation, discuss the area where you're unhappy with, where you want the work done. And there's actually something called a cool-off mm. period. So it's kind of like a two week period where you have your, you have time to think about your decision. Um, and then, you know, you make up your mind whether you're going to go for it or not. And you already said, you know, how, um, in places abroad where you get the procedure done, you literally jump off a plane, have your consultation, have your pre-op workup, and then you're on the table the same day. There's not actually time to think. Surgery is quite an overwhelming thing to Mm. go through. Um, you know, your body is virtually getting insulted. There are foreign objects being inserted into your body, um, getting, getting put, put to sleep, um, just being in a hospital, it can all be overwhelming. So it's important to not rush the decision, but to take your time to think, to be aware of the complications and think, is this what I really want? Am I, am I happy to take these risks? You just need time. I definitely agree. Actually, before you decide to go for something, for any operation um especially something like bbl it's always important to think about does the um the benefits of it outweigh the possible risks you know that that whole cost risk analysis that you have to do in life and about anything but especially with something like bbl unfortunately people do die from from operate from this type of operation whether they die in theater or they die from complications that ensue afterwards you know, you just have to think, okay, am I willing to take mm-hmm. this this risk in order to achieve the desired look that I want? And if you are fine on you, you know, as long as you sign that consent form that you consent to consent to having it done and you understand the, the implications, then it's fine. You know, like any day it's your body and you can decide what you want to do with it. But just make sure that you, you're fully aware of what could go wrong. And I think for me, the mm-hmm. issue that I have is that as, if it's done correctly and properly in the you know the right things are done pre-operatively as well as post-operatively then okay fine long as you know you have a consultation you have time to think about it you have your pre-op assessment done and then you go see your surgeon on the day of operation and then they go through the you know the consent form again and talk to you about everything and get the operation fine but if you're having your all rush rushed which most of the time it does happen you know when i whilst i was doing research i was seeing that actually if you wanted to get it done abroad you literally get off a plane, they come pick you up, they take you to um, the hospital or the clinic, wherever it's happening, they do a pre-op assessment on you, you know, take your blood, ECG, take your opposite your observations, all of those kind of stuff, sign a consent form, get you to theatre, get you on a general anaesthetic, put you to sleep, 
do the operation, operation's finished, you stay in hospital overnight, you get seen by the surgeon the next day, if everything's fine, you get discharged to a hotel, and then a couple of days later, you get seen again by, by the surgeon, and then you're fit to fly back. Now, for me, that's rushing a lot of things, you know, especially for something like BBL, which is an elective procedure. It's not an emergency procedure. There should be mm. time where you have a pre-op assessment and there should be a time interval between pre-op assessment and then getting the operation. And then after the operation, you know, there should be someone to talk to you about the potential complications as well as actually, why would, why would you want to fly right after having an, a four-hour operation? You're probably in a lot of pain. And they tell you after BBL, you shouldn't sit on your bum. How you gonna how you gonna get home then? How you how you gonna how you actually exactly. going to sit on the plane if you can't sit on, you know, where you've had work done? And just even before we fly home, because yeah. there are some I had a look at some of the clinic websites and there were some who offered this whole so you've already described that pack um that part of the package. Um they kind of make it into, you know, come yeah. get your surgery and mix in your holiday at the same time. But the thing is when you've had a major operation, you know, they said some of the advice from British sources. So one is from um, BPRAS. So that's the British Association of Plastic Reconstructive and Aesthetic Surgeons. They were like, you know, you just need to rest, be still, recover. You not, you shouldn't really be lying in the sun. You shouldn't really be drinking. You shouldn't really be going into water. But yet, thereby. Yeah. the seaside or they have pools in their villa and it's like it's not really aiding the healthy recovery that you need no i 100 i 100% agree the, um, the whole sort of package holiday with an operation if you're getting your teeth done okay that's fine you know you go get go get a set of veneers or, or dental crowns and maybe you just have to do good hygiene you know do good hygiene care afterwards and you can sit in the sun and chill ETC fine. Mm. But with something major as like yell, I don't think you should be walking up and down, up and down, up and down, going down, you know, to restaurants, going out here, going out there, drinking alcohol, doing all of these things after your body has been under such a physiological, um, physiological stress. Mm. The just a, a minor operation can put so much stress on your body, let alone something that lasts for almost four hours under general anesthetic as well your body needs time to recover and rest like you said um according to the guidelines and actually on a lot of the websites they do tell you that you need to rest you shouldn't go swimming you should keep the sterile dressing on all these things but it's if you're going to be doing a holiday package as well it's going to be hard to keep your sterile dressing on when you want to look cute after a bbl honestly and then there's the issue of the aftercare. So obviously, you know, the f- first couple of days after you've been, you stayed in hospital overnight and you stayed in a hotel for a few days, you're checked by someone before you get the okay to fly home. But, um, you know, I'm doing my my p- current placement on a surgical ward and things I've picked up is that there are there's more follow-up. So um, mm. the, the consultant or whoever's, yeah, whoever's your consultant, they will see you in about depending on the operation in a few weeks down the line to see, okay, has what we have, what we done. Wow. English. They'll see you a few weeks down the line to see if the procedure that was done has actually been effective. Is is everything healing? Well, there will actually be additional things as well, Mm -hmm. such as a wound check or physio if you need it or um, review with um, your GP for pain control. But if it's all done in a country Mm -hmm. and then within like four, four to seven days, you're already back home. Where's that continuity and follow up of care? It's really missing. And when, 
complications do arise, you either go to the NHS or if there's a complication, you're not in a position to fly back to the country where you got the procedure done for treatment, essentially. And even in, I think, 2017, the BMJ, they um, wrote in a paper how a lot of people who were getting surgery abroad there was a rise in the number um, number of people presenting with all the complications you listed earlier. And now the NHS has to kind of pick that up, but there's actually a risk yeah. that they can treat what's wrong with you. So let's say you get an infection and you start to go septic so they can deal with the sepsis, you know, activate the sepsis six pathway and stuff. But if they have to redo that kind of thing to save your life, you could actually pick up the tab for that because cosmetic surgery isn't done on the NHS. So in the long run, you have the potential of paying more, for something that was um a lot cheaper yeah i think if it's obviously emergency then you'll, you'll be free mm. but if it if it becomes that actually okay this is not an emergency that we need to do we don't need to do an emergency operation mm. but you need more con- you need constructive work then you're gonna have to pay for that privately unfortunately um because you know the nhs the nhs deals with like life-threatening um especially now with COVID, doing life, life-threatening life operations. So it's difficult, man. There's just so many, there's just, we could literally spend all day talking about, like, not just BBL, but cosmetic surgery and the risks involved. Like, no one's saying if you don't, no one's, you know, we're not here to chastise people that get it done or make people who get it done feel like, uncomfortable or feel like, oh no, we're judging them. Because actually, you know, you choose what you want to do with your body. If you want to get your hair braided, if you want to get your hair shaved, if you want to, cut off a limb if you want to get a, your breast augmented that's that's all on you your body end of the day but you just have to be aware of the complications that potentially could happen and also if you're getting it done abroad that if something goes wrong the NHS is gonna have to pick up it pick up pick up the slack mm. I, I agree and um like you said people can do what they want with their body but I just think it should be done safely which is why I yes. kind of lean towards the UK more um, because we've got a lot of bodies who regulate the practice of plastic surgeons we've got Mm -hmm. well for all doctors we've got the GMC so you can look up who's doing your procedure you can see where they went to med school you can see what kind of lists they're currently on Um, we've got Mm -hmm. what I what I call the Ofsted for hospitals and clinics (laughs) because that's what they are (laughs) you know what it's like when the CQC is visiting like everyone's like on their best behavior (laughs) essentially yeah so the CQC is the clinical quality commission and they essentially um go to clinics hospitals anywhere that does medical procedures and they make sure everything is up to scratch up to standard and you can actually search in the UK anyway if you're going to get a procedure somewhere and they're not listed on the CQC kind of database they're probably practicing illegally so there's that assurance of okay if something does go wrong and because I know that was the issue with Renee like things were going wrong but she's going back to the people who'd done it but they're not really taking the concern seriously there's no body to kind of report these doctors to and you know she's gone through very visible complications but the doctor who performed the operation says he has done all all of his um, procedures 100 percent, no complications and it's like well you know it's it's a lie but here in the uk you can at least go and report to the gmc you can report to the cqc places people like that can be their practice can be reviewed reviewed if they're actually causing people harm killing people they can be struck off um 
the CQC yeah. can visit. Like there's so many things you can do to stop that happening to someone else. And um, they also have ins- um, ensure that these kind of medical places insurance. are insured and have indemnity. So if anything does happen, you're covered. Whereas places which aren't really regulated, well, they're like, well, seems like that's your personal problem. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think the the main thing I think the main get away from this whole discussion is that actually if you are going to get cosmetic surgery done, that you understand how to report when things go wrong. You understand the place, you understand sort of the medical facility that you're going to be getting this procedure done, whether it's up to scratch, you know, that how how what the complication rates are, what the surgeons or the doctors there are like. Um you can research into the people who are going to be doing your operation. Like Moya said, in this country, we have the GMC register, which all um, practicing doctors are on, or even if they're not practicing, any doctor who is registered, licensed, should be on the GMC register. If they're not on it, then probably not a licensed doctor and shouldn't be practicing medicine. Um, and you, again, you have the CQC, like, like we mentioned as well. So there's various bodies that you can go to um there's ways you could complain there are so many ways you can complain in this country and when things go wrong and there's so much help you can get as well so i think it's about whether or not saving a couple of grand is worth worth it mm. i think that more is like it's like whether or not it, say the, the the cost of saving maybe one or two grand is worth the potential complications that's what we're trying to allude to because actually in this country it's quite expensive you're going to be paying up to what 10 grand for certain operations whilst in turkey and other countries you can be paying way less yeah i actually had so one clinic um just out of curiosity so if you wanted um rhinoplasty a nose job or um a breast breast implants two thousand nine hundred pounds do you know how cheap that is if you wanted Whoa, i saw um let me see what else is it if you wanted bbl that's about three thousand six hundred pounds and if you wanted um mm liposuction so this is one procedure liposuction breast lifts and um a bum implant something one of those three anyway just under six grand that's very cheap wow okay and i'm guessing it all involves like transport to the hospital mm. your your staying in care and all those sort of things yeah yeah oh okay so that's such a quite a cheap cheap procedure and i do think compared it's, to what you probably be Mm, it's one of those things where you you get what you pay for because um you know it's i understand people want to save money but there are certain things that money can't equate to money can't equate to your life your life is far more valuable than money um so i know it's expensive and for people who are yeah for people who really really want to to do it just do it safely and you might have to save up to do it but I feel like in the in the meantime, you know, um, like you mentioned mm-hmm. the other options earlier, you can um, get a personal trainer um, for weight loss, for, for weight gain. Um, you know, a lot of them are actually qualified. Like I didn't even know, like they have to st- study like anatomy and do tests and stuff. So they're very specialist and they know what they're talking about. And it's one of those things where it's not an instant change, but um, the mental effects as well of working out is a benefit and then with time you will see the changes that you hopefully want 
Yeah, definitely. There are so many alternative routes. And like you said, working out. I know a lot of people don't want to put in the hard work to get, you know, certain body goals. Because you're not going to get a big bum overnight if you just do like maybe what, 50 squats. You're not going to, your bum is not going to increase the next day. And a lot of people would rather just go and get, go under the knife and get their body the way they want it to look like without having to go through all that work and effort and pain that comes with exercise. But exercise is more than just you looking good. Your internally, your your body gains so much more. Um, you increase your cardiovascular fitness. You increase your lung capacity. Your you know with if exercise stuff like so certain people are prone to infections. Your you reduce your inflammation. All there's so many things that improve with exercise. Your mental health improves. So there's there is so much to gain from exercising rather than just looking good as well. Mm-hmm. I would say though um people people try and they don't get the results that they hope for because that's always a a possibility as well and you know you have to actually realize what your body shape is and then work according to Mm -hmm. that so like let's say all the women in your family are just you know they don't they don't have bum then maybe it might not it might not happen for you which is why I think people may try and then go for cosmetic but as an alternative because really. mm. yeah. I think people have have tried the gym is not easy some people do no some people try genuinely mm. some people really try and then they get cosmetic surgery just you know to to get the desired result the laughter and some people just don't try because they know they're not going to physically walk into that gym and be able to exercise and get the shape that they want what i've what i've seen a lot of women do actually is they go get bbl come back and start exercising after the bbl hmm. to maintain the figure so oh so yeah. it's not bbl and you're set for life you've got to maintain it yeah because hmm. obviously it's, it's fat transfer so if you get high again like if the you know like you get bigger the fat is just going to go be, be distributed back to where it was hmm. so if they remove the fat from your lower abdomen your, your lower abdomen is going to get fat deposited there again. I didn't even think of that, you so, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's not like they shape, you know, changing the shape of people's muscles are just redistributing fat. So let's say you get BBL this year, then the next two years you gain weight. The fat will just redistribute to where it was bef- mm. before. So whether that's your arms, your legs, your your abdomen, it'll just go back there again. Oh wow! Yeah, mm, interesting. So that so that's the issue with BBL. Like getting it done is fine, but it's also maintaining that figure afterwards. That's also the other aspect. In this new season, we have introduced a new segment called Learning Bites. At the end of each episode, we will present a short case followed by a series of questions the answers to which will be answered on the subsequent episode. Additionally, we will also be posting related teaching content on our social media pages throughout the week. Keep an eye out. For this episode, we will start off with an obstetric and gynecological case. History. A 37-year-old female who was presented to the Early Pregnancy Assessment Unit. The presented complaint is PV bleeding and suprapubic abdominal pain. History of presented complaint. She's a gravida 4, power 1 plus 2, gestation 10 plus 3, ten, and that's 10 weeks, 3 days. She woke up this morning and had what felt like crampy lower abdominal pain. 
she went to use the toilet and noticed some blood in the toilet bowl. On the review of systems, she has no urinary symptoms, no chest pain or breathlessness, and her bowels last opened last night. Of obstetrics history, she has a four-year-old daughter who was delivered at 38 plus two weeks gestation by vaginal delivery. Birth weight of 3.2 kg. There were no complications. Mum and baby were healthy. There were no admissions to NICU. She's also had two previous spontaneous miscarriages, one six years ago and the other two years ago, at six weeks and nine, nine weeks respectively. Past gyne history. She's up to date with her cervical smears and has no previous STIs. Past medical history. She's a type 2 diabetic, controlled by diet, no previous surgery. She has no known drug allergies and no drug history. Her family history. Her sister had recurrent miscarriages, cause not found. She's a non-smoker, has no alcohol use and works as a teacher in the sixth form. She lives with her daughter and husband. In terms of her ideas, concerns and expectations, she's concerned that she may have another miscarriage as it feels the same as the previous two. These are the following questions. Which examinations are important to carry out for this patient? Which investigations would you like to carry out? On examination, the patient has an open internal cervical os. What type of miscarriage has this lady had? Keep an eye out for the next episode where we'll answer all three questions. Additionally, we post some related content on our social media pages. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Simply Medics podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. Make sure you follow us at Simply Medics on Instagram and Twitter. Or if you want to drop us an email, send it to simplymedics at gmail.com. Please help us out by sharing, subscribing and dropping us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.